Hey all, thanks for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. Now before we get started, I'm going to talk to you about the Art Ho Collective, which is a collection of digital art and platforms started by Black queer people. They provide a safe space for creatives of color to connect and show their work. They offer grants to artists of color to assist with art projects and living expenses, and you can donate to the collective or to their grant fund via PayPal, which will be linked in the show notes below. Hey, all you Queer Queries listeners. I'm very excited for our guest today. He was most recently seen as Grover in The Lightning Thief on Broadway and the first national tour. He is a writer, a slam poet, and just a overall fierce queen. Please welcome to your ears, Miss Jarrell Javier. Hi. <laughs> It says, welcome to the show. We're talking about pegging. Um, All right. right. Since we were already getting on the pegging train, because maybe someone who's listening doesn't know what pegging is. It's the concept of a woman penetrating a man. And I think that it's something that is just so underutilized in a lot of queer relationships, and especially in heterosexual relationships, because I don't know any of my friends who are straight who are like into it. But... It's just something that like I know I've talked about with some of my like queer friends who are female and they love the idea of it. They just haven't found the right partner for it. Yeah. And so it's just a really interesting concept because I feel like there's a lot of societal stigmas that associate anal play with homosexuality, which isn't true. Your gender identity and your sexual orientation is not going to be affected by whether or not you like any sort of sexual act. And so I think it's just like the subject that not enough people talk about. And so we were talking about it before he started recording and before he introduced me. And so we're starting off this this episode strong, y'all. Welcome to Pegging Podcast. Come on, Pegging 101. Pegging 101. No, it's just like, it's because like we, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, thinking about the difference between sex and gender. But it was thinking like, even we though, created the idea of sex does that make sense? I think the two are different, but I was like, is sex still a man-made idea, even though, I don't know, obviously there are biological differences, but like talking about the idea of the man always being in the penetrator position and like we associating that as being the powerful position and then the female being in the, the receptor position and associating less power with that position. Right. Which any man will tell you, like... Bottoming's not easy. It is in no way, shape, or form the easier of the two. And so the fact that like we place so much power on the position that literally requires the least amount of work is I think the most patriarchal thing about sex in general. And also like I think that the concept of sex being man-made is very, very interesting because in nature where we see a lack of shame and a lack of societal stigmas and a lack of social conditioning we find gay sex happening all the time and we find anal sex happening all the time. And like, I mean, bonobos, I know are like one of the only animals that have oral sex, but aside from that, there are also a lot of other animals that just explore what feels good in their bodies. 
And I think that because humans are just like so obsessed with labels, I think that somewhere along the line, there was just this cultural decision that was like, this is A and this is B. If you are A, then these are your requirements. And then if you're B, these are your requirements. And somewhere along the line, it became associated with like male, female, and like this binary that I just truly not only not believe in, but also just like don't encourage because there's just so much freedom in exploring each other's bodies, regardless of who your partner is. Like there's so much to be explored. And I think that we limit ourselves by placing these preconceived confinements as to what a sexual experience can hold. And I think that there is something to be said about people who identify as heterosexual and are willing to explore that. I think there's so much power in that because I know for me, whenever I meet anyone who is straight and talks openly about being open to explore, like that is an immediate turn on. Like, I know you're, you may not be into me and I may not be into you, but like your openness tells me a lot about who you are, what you're willing to do in life, what your journey has been in your humanity thus far. Like that's a lot of information that I can kind of gather just by you being comfortable enough to share that with me. So yeah, I just think that people are too obsessed with like top, bottom, verse, verse top. It's like, no, can we just like focus on what feels good and what is giving the other person pleasure or what's giving you pleasure and just have that be the main goal. In the words of Aquaria, you know, any hole is a goal. (laughs) And I think that, I think that's absolutely valid. Like, girl, like if you're not into the, the butt stuff, then like you don't have to be. But I think that we have such an idea of what sex needs to be. Mm-hmm. And we have such an idea of what prerequisites have to be checked off for it to be considered sex or what needs to happen in order for it to be like a good experience as opposed to simply basing it off of like, did both parties have fun? Was it both consensual? And did both parties leave whatever they did? Do you leave that feeling like you had a good time? I don't know. That's my point of view on a lot of things. It's like, I think we take it a little too seriously sometimes. And I know that sometimes I have like expectations because I'm such a, I'm such a Pisces. I'm such a romantic. I'm like, I want this to be the most beautiful lovemaking. And it's just like, <laughs> no, like not everything is like that. You know what I mean? It's just like, if you had fun, it's fine. If you, if both parties had fun, I would consider that a success. And yeah, I don't know just to piggyback it's like sometimes you just need a good old fuck and i know at least for me the pushback against that was like is was linked to like my own sexual shame and and shame around like having sex with like a random person and being like oh my god like what am i doing or like doing it a lot and then just like realizing that there is nothing wrong for anyone just owning that it's such a part of human nature. And like, I don't know why our culture developed such shame and stigma around talking about sex and also allowing, in a binary sense, men to talk about sex and like express sexuality more freely than women. Relating to the whole WAP video right now, I don't know if it was changed completely, but it's now wet and gushy or something like that. Because people were so up in arms about these two women owning their sexuality and just like speaking about it freely when men have been doing it for God knows how long. So, Right. And in less tactful and more obscene ways than 
most female rappers are doing nowadays anyway. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know the ins and outs of rap music. I don't necessarily like listen to it. I haven't even really watched the video. I've seen like Twitter clips and stuff like that. It's not where I live. But I do very much agree with the fact that like we think of sex and the subject of sex as something that's extremely obscene and vulgar. And I feel like this is one of the reasons why sex education is so withheld in schools. It's because there is somewhere along the way, someone shamed talking about sex and somewhere along the way, it became misconstrued into this subject matter that is vulgar and vile and worthy of shame. When in reality, it's like sex is such a beautiful thing, like regardless of whether you do it for pleasure, for business, whatever, what have you. It is a beautiful thing that happens when two bodies coming together, having a good time, and that's it. Like, I don't understand what's so shameful about that. Like, yes, it's an adult activity, but like, so is drinking. And so is like smoking a cigarette. Like, there's always going to be an aversion to it, sure, but I don't think that we should perpetuate the stigmatization of it. And, you know, and that's why I like also was really excited to kind of do this podcast, because I think that the number one way to do that is to talk candidly about it in the same way that we talk about other adult activities like drinking like smoking like whatever right like there's always going to be an aversion to it and obviously there are always disclaimers that come with talking about adult material but I do think that when it comes to adolescence where your hormones are the most new and the most uncontrollable almost there's a lack of information that like lets younger people know like hey what you're experiencing is okay as long as you are being safe and you are not harming yourself or others, and that it is consensual, you know, like these are things that obviously need to be talked about. But I do feel that there is a lack of normalization about it. And I feel that talking about it is step number one, because we can't normalize it if people aren't aware and people aren't going to be aware if we're not willing to talk about it. It's so interesting because I love talking about sex. Like nothing brings two strangers closer together than hating the same person and talking about sex. And Obviously, like that doesn't go for everyone. And that's a very general blanket statement because, you know, there are some people who are not comfortable talking about it, which is totally okay and valid. We're not shaming those people. But it does beg the question of just like, why are you ashamed of it? You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I would love to explore for anyone who is uncomfortable with it, like the why behind it. Is it because you're actually uncomfortable with it? Or is it because from the time that you were like a youngin to the time that you are now, you have been conditioned and told that this is a subject matter that is taboo, worthy of shame and not worth talking about? Well, I think especially, I know for me at least, and I feel like this can go for a lot of gay men, is it's so rooted in doing something that we learned was wrong and the reaction of doing it a lot, but still keeping it behind closed doors, even for yourself, for me at least, was rooted in wanting to be rebellious, but also wanting to prove something to myself, but also feeling shameful of what I was doing because I was told like that what I'm doing is a sin and is wrong, is not the natural way of life. And yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I understand where you were going through because I think that like I was definitely the same way. You know what I mean? I feel like I've had to actively tell myself that like this isn't a bad thing. What you're doing isn't a bad thing. And that this is like something that was fed to you from the time that you were like literally sick till I lost like my virginity. You know what I mean? Like it was like something that was constantly being bombarded and like 
also growing up and you see the way that people are treated differently when when people find out they have sex. I know for me, like some people in middle school, like a rumor came around and whether or not it was true was irrelevant because their treatment was the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so you see the way the bias works when you've lost it. And you also see the difference that happens when you're a man receiving a claim and a woman receiving like shame for it, which is stupid because it's like, how you gonna have two parties and then shame one and not the other for doing the same activity together with each other. That's like mm-hmm. going grocery shopping and telling someone like you bought food. How dare you? And then telling the other one like, oh, my gosh, you can make dinner. Great. It's like they did the same thing. What are you talking about? So I just don't understand. I don't know. I think it's just like I think our parents are partly to blame because they grew up. And I love my mom and I love my dad. They never really actually. I don't think they even know that I'm not a virgin. Sorry if you're listening to this, parents. Oh my God. But like, you know what I mean? It's just like they grew up in such a different generation under a different set of rules, under constant bombardment of a completely different moral value. And then here comes our generation who are so sex positive and very, very candid and totally willing to explore our full spectrum of sexuality as well as talk about it and discuss it. And so I think that it's healthy what we're doing almost. Like this generation is just kind of like working hard to break that barrier. But it is hard because we're, in a lot of ways, our generation is so transitional. It's like we're not reaping the benefits of changing the culture, but we are the ones that are actively trying to change the culture because the cultural gap between us and our parents are so great that it just doesn't make sense to continue it. Or at least in my perspective, that's what my journey has been. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because it's not like we're the first generation to act like this. I mean, you you look at the 60s, you look at like the 20s. And I know at least for my parents, we're young in the 60s. So it's not like we were coming of age and we're aware of everything. But it's not like these are all new things that are being presented and being toyed with. I just, I think it's so interesting because you look at like ancient cultures, like from what I know about like Greeks and Romans and Egyptians, it's like, sex was so integral and celebrated in those cultures. And oh, yeah. and I feel like it's just like the Eurocentric ideals and Christianity ideals and, and all those things that kind of like washed all that away and turned it into obviously something bad to talk about and celebrate and do. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, even with something like Filipino culture, right? Like the culture of the Philippines is so rich. And I unfortunately have been a part of the generation that I wouldn't say denounced, but like when I was growing up as an immigrant, like having your accent was like a bad thing. You were made fun of being a fob or like being fresh off the boat was a term used very often. And so when I was growing up, I was very ready to get rid of everything that tied me to my immigration status to try and actively assimilate into this like American thing. And in a lot of ways, the Philippines as a country was like that as well, in that it had this very, very rich and vibrant culture and so much history and traditions and national garb and fashion and all that. But it was a very rich country culturally. And then when the Spanish invaded and kind of colonized everything, it slowly shifted 
in that there are a lot of historical artifacts, inscriptions, and documents that prove that, in fact, trans people were very highly celebrated in our culture, that sex was a very positive thing, like virility and fertility was celebrated and sex wasn't a taboo. It was something to be celebrated. But along with the rest of the colonization that happened, there was a lot of Christianity and Catholicism-based thinking that eventually pervaded the entire land and changed the cultural aspect of it. There are still islands in the Philippines that are so far removed and are maintaining their old traditions, but it's very few now. And it's very like in Cebu, in like an island that you have to like vote to. You know what I mean? And the only reason why they've survived that much is because they're so far removed from the main island. But it is an interesting thing because if that happened to my country, like how many other countries are there with that? It happened to ours. From what I learned about like some like indigenous cultures in America, it's like it was from like an episode I watched, but there was one of the people on the show was Two-Spirit and talked about how people who identified as as non-binary or trans were given like positions of power within the tribe, within the community. And then once you had the colonizers come over and Christianize all of the land is when you started to have that be shut down. And I don't know. I get what you're saying. I feel like a lot of it is just religion, too. And I think that that's kind of maybe the point that we are trying to get at is that like religion has shamed sex and sexuality a lot. And I think that, you know, like to each their own. And if you are someone who is like saving yourself for marriage, I fully support that. And I applaud you. And I'm not shaming you whatsoever. I think it's just like this concept of saving yourself, quote unquote, right? And all of that stuff. I think that religion has kind of turned it into something to be shameful of because to tie someone's value to their virginity and then to immediately shame them and treat them other than because they've had sex or whatever, it's like they've turned it into a fear-based thing and it's no longer celebrated, it is feared. And I think that that's where things kind of went wrong somewhere along the way. And, you know, obviously, I know that there's a much more eloquent explanation as to why that is. And I have my own theories of of why organized religion has shamed or stigmatized certain aspects like homosexuality and premarital marriage. But, you know, I don't have the evidence to like back them up by any means. But I do believe that religion has played a huge part in it because growing up, that was my biggest deterrent from exploring that side of myself. And I had to do a lot of inner work for me to be comfortable exploring that side of myself because of how much trauma organized religion has done to me. So I definitely think that there's something to be said about religion's part in the stigmatization of sexual exploration. When do you feel like you started to release that sense of shame surrounding sex? I think it was just when I allowed myself to explore. I gave myself permission, right? Of like, I used um, my exploration period was in college. And a lot of people, you know, tend to be around their 18 to 22 age, right? So mine was around that age as well. And I had come out of this invisible closet that everyone knew that I was in around (laughs) 16, right? I was like, okay, maybe um, 
maybe I don't like women. And everyone's like, yeah, we know we've been waiting, literally knocking on your door. (laughs) And so for like two years, it was like me being like, okay, I'm gay. Now what? And being stuck in my high school home of like Torrance, California. And then when I finally like went to college and had a brand new slate, I gave myself permission of like, you can be your true authentic self. So let's start finding that. Right. And so my journey with the whole thing was just like, if I wanted to end up like sleeping with someone, I did. I was relatively promiscuous for my first two years of college, probably. I even hooked up with women. I tried to hook up with a girl and um, nothing happened biologically, which is how I found out that I was not at any means bisexual or bi curious or attracted to women, period. Love them, think you're beautiful, but like it was just not my gig because my thought process was like, how can I be an advocate for sexual fluidity and sexual exploration if I myself am not giving into this curiosity that I am having in this point in my life? So I allowed myself permission and I used my age as an excuse. I was like, you know what? You're only going to be in college once and you're only going to have this experience now. So go and do whatever it is that you can explore now so that you can have a better sense of understanding of yourself. Mm -hmm. Sex shouldn't be a thing of shame. It shouldn't be something that you frown upon. It should be something that you look forward to and are treating with joy and sex because it is, it's so intimate. But when it's done right and you have the right partner whose body just moves like really well with yours, that is magic. That is human magic at its best. And I think that allowing yourself to have that and giving yourself permission to explore whatever facet of it you want, that's where it starts. Figure out what works for you, figure out what makes you happy. And then the moment you step too far, you'd be like, oh, I don't like that. You won't go there again. That's fine. But that's good information. I think that it is always worth trying something. Like Mm -hmm. do it at least once. And with someone you trust. Going back to the idea of limitations, I think as humans, we naturally love to be so free, but are so quick to fall into the limitations that we've grown up with and society has set for us and reject like any sort of exploration that might be outside of what we're told or what we believed for ourselves. Like I know very much like for my kinkier side journey, I was very much just like, afraid i've not explored anything super like what i'm gonna call hardcore kink like any kind of like leather or anything sorry mother there was one maybe once or twice i did try being tied up with someone but like you said never try it with someone like uh okay like i'm feeling some type of way one night let me try it with some random stranger because you never know what could go on with said random stranger. Do it with someone if it's like a friends with benefits type thing or if it's a significant other being like, you know what? This has always appealed to me. I want to try it. Because I used to just, I just rejected that whole, because I, <laughs> one thing I find so funny about this podcast is I feel like I'm revealing everything about myself. But there we go. I am very much like, I enjoy being more submissive and falling into the person however i also love (laughs) tell me more nick it took a long time for me to feel powerful and find like i could take charge in the bedroom because i was in what i believed was the the more submissive position i was the bottom the more i don't know just like 
this is what is required of my role. So that's what I have to do. Instead of realizing it's like why I always was like so afraid to top because I'm like, I'm a short person. Someone else is going to be doing a much better job. But like when I would, I liked the power I felt. And I'm like, how can I feel that power, but being the bottom? Right. No, and I think that it goes back to what we were saying of like how we associate being the bottom with being the lesser of the two. When in reality, like whomever is the submissive that night, they are the ones in power because they're the ones who are being penetrated. They are the ones who have the ability to say like, no, this is not working for me. This hurts. Can we change something? Whomever is being the submissive, in my eyes, always has the power as the person who is topping that night or is being the dominant, like you are in a sense of service to your sub. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be fucking anybody if your bottom doesn't want to be fucked. And so I feel like it's just, because I know for me, it's taken some work too, because it's like, as a person who's a little bit bigger, it's hard for me sometimes to feel like I am like, it's weird because I love the power dynamic of sex, Mm -hmm. right? Like I live for it. And when I'm with someone who is a little bit smaller than I am or whatever, and is totally like into being the more submissive role, I'm here for it. And we both know like, I like hopping. It's fine. It's great. It's lovely. I love it. I'd like to think I'm good at it. And it's usually pretty, pretty fun time for both people. But there is like something to be said about like, when you have that power all the time, like, There's something really hot about giving all that shit up and just having someone completely like take over, but Mm -hmm. also still acknowledging that you as the person who is being taken over, you also still have the power to say no. Mm -hmm. And that if you say no, there is no ends, ifs or but about it, we will stop and we will like figure out what needs to happen then. But I do understand what you mean because it's like, For me, it's not so much finding the power in being a bottom, it's relinquishing that power. I'm so sorry for anyone who knows me personally and does not want to hear this information, but it's like, if I'm going to bottom, like, I want a bottom. I want a bottom. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And and if I'm topping, like, I'm going to top. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I think that it's a very great thing what you're saying, because I feel like a lot of people who are typically bottoms are experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing in that it's really hard because you're told your entire life and in porn too, like porn is such a huge influence in the culture because in porn, whenever someone's a submissive, like they're being degraded and demeaned. And while that is a kink for some I think what people fail to realize is that like, that's not how the dynamic of sex in an actual bedroom with actual people should be. If that isn't what you agreed upon. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that power dynamic is only that way because they've had a conversation about what they're going to do. They've had a conversation about the words they're allowed to say and the power dynamic that's going to happen in the bedroom has been figured out and discussed. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, if anyone tried to like hook up with me, and tried to say some demeaning, degrading shit like that, if I'm bottoming, like, I'm not going to take that. Like, get out. Like, no. So I think it's just also, like, worth talking about that porn has also influenced the way we think about these things. It's how so many of us learn about right. what, how to have anal sex. So Especially with the gay community, because we spend all of our lives, like, our adolescence in hiding, or at least most of us do. If you were blessed enough to not have to, I'm so happy for you. But a lot of us, like, we grew up being in the closet and then coming out and then wanting to make up for lost time. 
in, <laughs> in, 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 in sexual activities. Right. And oftentimes that's also a slippery slope because then we start to equate our worth with sexual validation of like, if men find me attractive, then I am worth something as opposed to being like, I am worth something regardless of whether or not any man deems me valid of their attraction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's also something in the gay community that growing up closeted has affected because there's such a weird, there's so much that happens. It's just like gay guys in general that all just stem from the fact that like we were forced to hide our true selves for so long and there are repercussions that we have to unpack and but we have to be willing to unpack them and so mm-hmm. anyway i don't know if that made sense to what we were talking about before but like i guess from what we've gathered is just that like both of us like our respective positions and are learning how to be the other See, something I found I love doing, though, is I love playing with it in like a second to second ratio. So like, if I feel someone start to relinquish any sort of like, power in the moment, even if like, nothing has been determined, I will lean into that and take charge right away. I always had a hard time doing it if someone was taller than me, which is most people because I'm five five. But once I started, like like you said, giving myself permission and being like, this is the message I'm getting. Like, I'm going to do this. Obviously not going too far and doing something unconsensual. But like, again, it's a conversation. And I at least am constantly trying to be attuned to like, what are the signals I'm getting to see if like, am I doing something? Are they leaning away? So I'm like, okay, I must be doing something that makes them uncomfortable or that they don't like. And if it starts to continue, then I'm going to ask like, hey, I'm noticing this. Is there anything I can do better? I also think part of, at least for me as being the bottom for so long, I'm so attuned to like, if I'm flipping the roles, making sure the other person is okay and checking in as opposed to, I just want to go right and, and finish. I totally agree. Like being a bottom or at least bottoming in, in some sense of the word makes you a better top because mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and, and this is why if we're going to go full circle with pegging, this is why I also <laughs> believe that like people in a heterosexual relationship should peg at least once because it will tell you what feels good and what doesn't. Because I know a lot of my female friends who are dating straight men who don't give a crap. Like there are some men out there who are completely clueless about the anatomies of a woman and what feels good and what doesn't and how to use what they got and what to not use what they got. You know what I mean? It will inform you as to what feels good and you will become a better top for it. I can always tell if someone has never bottomed before. Because if I'm not enjoying something, I will let you know with my body language that I'm not. I'm not the kind of person that's like, we're already in it, so let's just get her done. But it's so funny. Like I remember I had a moment once where I wasn't really feeling it. And the guy was, he was so into it. And he would ask me questions. He's like, can I do this or can I do that? And I would say no. And then he kept like trying new ways. And then I remember I was like laying on my stomach and he was on top of me. And I was like getting squished down under. And I was like very uncomfortable. I'm like, that doesn't feel good. And I lifted up my butt into his crotch a little bit more. And he read that as, oh my God, like he's so into this right now. And, and continue to like 
get even more into it. And it's so funny. I like, I literally, I had to write about it afterwards because I was like, I feel so sorry for women in this moment because of the amount of times that That this has happened to them. This has happened to them where a slight like thing could be misread and they just go for it. And I'm in the place I'm like, I'm not being harmed. I'm not, I don't feel unsafe. And if you luckily somehow pick up on the signs and my consistently saying no to the questions you're asking me, then I'll be like, you know what? But yeah, it's just like, I really, I'm like, men are so stupid, horny and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Both. When men are so horny, they are very stupid. Yeah. And I mean, I can attest to this. I've done plenty of stupid things. Yeah, I'm stupid on a normal basis. And when I'm not thinking with the right head, it's even more stupid. But I think that the point that we're just like trying to make is just like, you know, listen to your partner, like listen to not only what they're saying, but their body language. Like You can feel when they are enjoying it. And I feel that like, I don't know, for me, at least when I'm in the bedroom, like my goal is always to make the other person feel good. Like making someone else feel good makes me feel good. So as long as they're okay, I'm having fun. Like I'm great. I'm good. You know, but the thing is, it's like not a lot of people go about sex in that way. And I think that it is again that, I don't know, It maybe it's just the way that like men are because men are just so all about themselves and are only thinking about themselves and growing up with privilege as a male, like it's something that if you're not aware of, it will seep into every corner and every facet of your life. And I feel that the bedroom is absolutely one of the facets that it like seeps heavily into mm-hmm. in that it's all about, it's all about them. And I'm just like, no boo, like it is not about you. I saw something on Twitter that was like, get in the car. We're top shaming now because <laughs> I feel like there's this, there's this cultural thing that for some reason, I don't know where, like, it's definitely rooted in misogyny. Mm-hmm. But like somewhere ar- along the way, we were just like, hey, we're going to shame bottoms because they take dick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, they do. And who are you going to fuck if they don't want to take yours? So why are we not treating them with respect? Why are we not treating them like they're the greatest things in the world? Because they are. You know, like if you are in a relationship with someone and someone is bottoming, like you better be grateful for the fact that they are willing to have you enter them because that's a very intimate experience. And that is and a very a lot of work. There is a lot and of there work. Is a, <laughs> there's a lot of work. There are a lot. There are meals skipped. There are coffees not drinking. There's a high water bill that comes with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are pills of fiber to be taken. Like it is a lot of work to be a bottom or to bottom in general. And so it's like, my thing is, is like, why are we shaming a group of our community that gives the other members of the group joy and pleasure? You know what I mean? Like, why are we so obsessed with like shame? Well, why are we so obsessed with shaming anyone? First of all, it's the need to be the most powerful in a minority group. And like, how can we make ourselves feel better and closer to what was established as the the norm, the regular, the, the cishet white world? Right. How can we get closer to that? And who can we demean so that we can feel better about ourselves because we are still not even looked at as being normal because of who we sleep with? Yeah, it's like, it's the whole, like, hurt people, hurt people. And, you know, if we were to dive about 
all of the things wrong with our community. There was, there's not a podcast long enough to, to fully flush <laughs> it out. But I will say though, like the bedroom is an easy place for you to start. While we're on the topic of kind of changing habits, I am a firm believer in daily diligence. When it comes to anything regarding your life, building habits, anti-racism, trying a new activity, it's going to take daily diligence. Like at first, it's going to be something that you cognizantly and actively have to constantly remind yourself. And then eventually it becomes a habit. And then after it's a habit, you no longer have to think about it. And I think that that's something that starts in the bedrooms too. Like check if the person that you're with is having a good time. Like start there. Read their body language, feel what their body is telling you and feel what they themselves are verbally telling you. I don't know. I just feel as though there's just this weird obsession with trying to be this alpha in the bedroom. And for some people that works, you know, if that's your preferred style, all power to you. But not everyone's style is going to be like that. And so you have to be in tune with the person that you're with and you have to be in tune with whom you're currently doing these activities with what do they like like have that conversation i think people just don't converse about it enough because they feel like they're not allowed to like bring it up bro if you don't want a certain position or you don't like this or you don't like it when i kiss your neck or what like let me know i have no qualms i'm just trying to get you off Tell the other person, if you are being vulnerable enough and intimate enough to have someone inside of you or for you to stick an appendage into someone else, you are also vulnerable enough to tell them that you do not like what they are doing. Mm -hmm. It's your time too. like take ownership of that time, take ownership of it and allow yourself to be like, hey, I don't like that. That's not cute. Let's try something else. Mm -hmm. You're doing great. I don't know. I just like... Sex. <laughs> sex. Sex. It's just so complicated, um, you know, like. It really is. Well, I appreciated you bringing up the daily diligence thing or something you said before that, but it reminded me of like the whole mask for mask thing and experiences oh I had with guys who had asked me like how I act and like, are you more feminine? And then being like, because I want to sleep with the man. And just this whole being like, if you are acting more feminine, then you're not a man. And it just, uh, it's a, a whole clusterfuck that's happening inside my mind right now. But just like calling that when you see that on profiles and behavior out, even if like you are someone who has never been affected by that, it's still just like perpetuates and just awful behavior within the community. And just really hurts people and and makes it just so people can't fully accept the most beautiful parts of themselves. Right. Yeah. No, and it's it's rooted in just such like such misogyny, which I find really ironic because it's like as a member of the community, you know how tortured we are or how your queer brothers and sisters and non-binaries when we were teased for acting too effeminate or being a woman and acting too butch or what have you, right? Like you are aware of all of the trauma and bullying that that brings. And then for you to perpetuate that same type of unfair expectations on members of your own community and to base their value as to whether or not you deem them fuckable because of that quality when we're already, again, because of our past trauma, putting so much value on sexual validation, it's such a toxic cycle. And I, I saw this thing, I think it was a TikTok that was just like, 
I don't know who needs to hear this, but you need to date someone who you are fully comfortable queening out in front of. Mm-hmm. And I hate that that even has to be said in the first place, but I think that there is a very, very toxic mindset within our community that being this traditionally masculine type is better than being effeminate or girly or womanly or whatever. And it sucks because, you know, I'm, I've succumbed to that. Like growing up have had preferences because of the way that I was taught. And as soon as someone like had had that conversation with me, I'm just like, Hey, you know, this is what that stems from. I had to do a lot of like work of being like, Hey, just letting you know, this is stemming from that and that you need to actively change it. And I'm still working on it. Everyone, you're allowed to be in progress with it. But I think acknowledging it is number one. And then putting it into practice is one of the steps after. And I don't think people realize how great it is to meet someone who celebrates you fully for who you are and does not deduce you to whether or not your wrist limp or whether or not you walk with a saunter or whatever, and that you as a person are multifaceted and equally valid in all parts of yourself, and that you are not to be deduced to mask or femme. Because I feel like there is a little bit of both in all of us. And, you know, like, I also like to recognize that I have some privilege in that and that I know how to pass. I'm questionable at most, but if I had to and I didn't have to talk, I can put on a walk and I can change my demeanor and pass as like someone who is, quote unquote, a hetero. Gross, but I have that privilege. And unfortunately, there are people in this world who do not and are more susceptible to abuse, to bullying, harassment, and all of that stuff. And so I acknowledge that it's easier for me to say these things because I can escape it if I need to, and I have the ability to should I want to. However, I do believe that this is something that has to start with inner work. And I think this is why I admire like trans women and drag queens so much too, in that they have such unbelievable strength and confidence and such heightened levels of self-realization that they are no longer being hurt by these words, or at least they're, I'm sure they're still hurt, but you know what I mean? Like they have to deal with this on a daily basis. And so I have so much respect for them because that's something that they go through that I don't to that degree. I just think that it is something that has to start with us. It has to start with you Internally, it's very like man in the mirror of like, acknowledge when you are succumbing to these tropes and succumbing to these mindsets, acknowledge it, and then actively fix it. It's hard because at some point or another, like even I was asking, like, is this a preference? Where is this rooted from? Because I feel like preference, like the whole, like, it's such a scapegoat, right? Of like, this is a preference. And I'm like, no, coffee over tea is preference. Like you like deducing someone to whether or not they're Asian or straight passing or whatever, that's not the same thing as a preference. And so you have to be honest with yourself too, because you got to be able to call yourself out and own up to the fact that like, Hey, you're guilty. Like I'm guilty, you know, and everyone's guilty. I'm sure you're guilty as well, but we have to be aware of it and we have to be willing to call not only ourselves out, but others as well. But it's definitely a problem in our community. That shit's fucking prevalent, dude. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off what you said, I think it's just acknowledging your socialization because it's like, what did you grow up seeing as being 
the quote unquote like beauty standard? What did you see when you saw porn? You saw a lot of chiseled, buff, very masculine white men. And so if that was your first introduction to like gay community, gay world, gay men, and you see that consistently, of course, you're going to think like, oh, that's what I need to aspire to be and aspire to want. And unless you are shown something different from the get-go or someone points it out to you and you actually don't just hear it, but actually listen and think on your own self, can you actually, I guess, just like really see it and yeah, it's just acknowledging and thinking back on your own life and finding finding the points in the timeline that led you to where you are today and figuring out how can you change that. Right. It's very true. And it's it's hard too because it's like I know with my journey, like being Filipino, like colorism is such a prevalent thing. And even growing up, like I love the summer because my skin has this amazing quality where it will go from like a light tan to a golden brown in like one trip to the beach. Like I will play volleyball on the beach for two hours and like I will look like a bronze human and I live for it. I love that quality about my skin. But growing up, my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, all of this stuff, they perpetuate the cycle of like white skin equals better skin because it's just, you know, like it's so that colorist and racism tendency is just so ingrained in that culture and like papaya soaps and whitening soaps, all that stuff. So I was constantly bombarded with the idea that like, if you have lighter skin, you are going to look more handsome. You're going to look richer. You're going to look more successful. I'm like, no, that has nothing to do with it. And, you know, growing up, I always knew that that was false, but after, you know, you get brainwashed for so many years, it's going to take years of you actively doing the work of being like, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. This is stemming from this. This is stemming from this until your habits are fully unpacked. And even then it's still shadow work. Like you don't ever really leave that behind. You just, you have to acknowledge it and work through it. But I think that like the whole mask for mask thing and, and the not racist, just the preference thing, like it's so prevalent in the community and it's hurtful. Like, it's very hurtful. Like, I'm very secure in myself. And there's nothing that a guy from Grindr is going to say where I'm just going to be like, where I'm going to like break down. But it does like, it does affect you a little bit when someone says like, I'm not into your type. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then I thought it was because I was bigger. And I was like, Oh, and then he was like, No, I'm just not into Asians. I'm like, it's like, what do you say to that? Like, Oh, I didn't realize like racism was on the menu. But like, I don't have the answers to it, but it's one of those things where we have to constantly do the work. Again, it's like the daily diligence thing of like constantly going internally and figuring out what has been drilled into your mindset because of like learned behavior and what do you actually believe? Mm-hmm. Because for me, like there were these things that I was fed and I didn't realize that I didn't believe them until I actually took the time to be like, do you actually believe this? Or like, what are you, Jarrell, feeling? What is your belief? And I don't know, maybe I'm just also just like, I just love men. Like, I don't care. (laughs) I am that girl. Like, I really don't, like, I don't care. You could be purple. If you are really nice to me and you make me feel seen and acknowledged, like, I don't give a shit. But that's not to say that when I was 18, that was the same. You know what I mean? And it's, again, when I was 20 and again, when I was 22, it took years of me being like, 
actively unpacking the racist shit that was fed to me and this like heterosexual, heteronormative mindset of what a man, quote unquote, should be and unpacking years and years of that shit until I actually figured out like, oh, you don't actually believe that. You were fed that. Okay, work. So let's go deeper. Let's flush it out. Let's keep going. And I'm not fully done. I have years to unpack left. I think I'm on like year four and I have like 24. So we got we got two more decades of unpacking to do. But that's the thing, you know, like it's just, it's a suitcase. It's a really big suitcase and you just got to unpack and Marie Kondo your way through it. Like acknowledge it, realize that like, even though this is a part of yourself that is not beneficial to you anymore, it is a facet of yourself that is valid and is now a part of the summation of your entire being. So think it, but no longer entertain it or utilize it. I hope that made sense. It's like combining like Marie Kondo with like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, if, it's, if, if it doesn't spark joy, don't keep it around. And racism never sparks joy. So throw that shit out, mm-hmm. bitch. <laughs> Oh my God. I love what you said about really asking yourself if you actually believe something like that was my whole journey with like religion and still something like I'm figuring out, but I realized I'm like, you know, a lot of that stuff I don't believe in. And I'm still figuring out like what I do believe in. I do believe there's some kind of like higher power and that, I don't know, I, there's some kind of plan or like I have some kind of purpose and like, that's what guides me. It's also something that's interesting. Like, I asked myself this whole question. It's like in wanting to deconstruct the masculinity and like the the misogyny I've grown up with and within myself. And it's like, what about being a man? Do I actually like? What are the qualities that we associate with what a man is? And not when I think like the, oh man, like that kind of man, but like all these ending qualities, do I actually like? And I don't know that I have a conclusion. But it's just been very much like it goes in tandem with my whole journey of like how I like to express myself and and in finding my masculine and and feminine and finding something in the middle or, or exploring something that's outside of that binary and also giving myself permission to do that. Because there's so many things I was taught growing up that I loved. I was not supposed to love, but I do love them. So right now it's been a lot of like going back to those things and revisiting them and falling back in love with them and being like, how can I explore that now today? I don't know if any of that made sense. I feel like I'm saying all this like woo shit right now. But. <laughs> no, no, no. It absolutely made sense. I think it's like what growing up has taught me is that our childhood was a lot more integral to our development than we initially think. And I think even putting it back to like everything that we've talked about with like sexual preferences and all of that stuff, I feel like so much of what we were told as children or the way that we were treated or the power dynamics of our household or your friend group, whatever, all of that comes into play to your development, your preferences and whatever, right? So like even with sex, I feel like it's kind of like the whole like whenever someone is a really powerful person out in the streets, they love to be dominated in the bedroom because That's the power dynamic that they are like yearning for, but don't get to have outside of it. In the same way, I feel like when we're growing up and we're not allowed to express ourselves in the way that 
we want to, we come out of the closet and then there's like what I like to call like the gay renaissance in a person, right? It's like this really crappy time in your life and then you're like, I'm gay! And then all of a sudden you're like, I want the gayest apparel, rainbows everywhere, shorts are only shorter than five inches, tank tops only, and if it's really hot, crop top. You know what I mean? Like we have this like celebration because we finally get to express who we really are. But then you also like look back a couple of months after the gay renaissance area and you're like, but which parts of those are really me, right? And I feel like that's a lot of the times what happens with a lot of gay men in general. We have this idea of how we should be and based on how life has taught us or the, the social constructs that have been around us our entire life, we then start to formulate like what we think are our initial preferences. And then we have to actively delve like which of these are fed, which are actually me, and which of these are no longer serving me and or are actually rooted in systemic racism, misogyny, and like a patriarchal sense of power. So you know what I mean? Because it's like, for me, my whole thing was just like, okay, well, I'm attracted to everyone. I know that much. So I was just like, so let's delve deeper. Let's have the ugly conversation. Let's figure out like why I'm feeling guilty, even though I know I'm not doing anything wrong. And it was because like, I realized that growing up with a certain set of information being fed to you at all times, knowing that I didn't agree with it, but knowing that by not agreeing with it, I was technically not actually being wrong, but like was being wrong. Mm-hmm. that's what was bugging me. So it wasn't the truth that bugged me. It was the fact that I was fed this information for so long. And then I finally realized that I don't believe it. Actually, it's more like actually proclaiming that I don't believe it. And then was now actually seeing the damage that that psyche and mindset does. And then being like, oh, okay. So that's where that stemmed from. That's why I did these things. That's why I felt this blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be honest with yourself. It's not going to be all rainbows and butterflies. And oftentimes these conversations with yourself never will be. But I think that step number one is always going to be like, you have to be honest with yourself, but you also have to be willing to accept the fact that you grew up in a society that has racial bias, misogynistic tendencies, patriarchal, and all of these things and that that will inevitably affect you in one way or another. And that you have to, it's a constant battle of realizing what each facet of yourself is being affected by which, I don't know, plague, I guess you can call it, (laughs) (laughs) but allowing yourself to have that conversation with yourself. And I think that that's, that's where we tend to uh, avoid because no one wants to admit to themselves that they have racial tendencies and no one wants to uh, admit to themselves that they have misogynistic tendencies and that a lot of what they believe stem from those two things and that a lot of their actions are still stemming from those two things. And so I think it's also just that because there's a lot of gray. It's not just always black and white. And I think that people are uncomfortable of the gray because the gray has a little bit of the darkness in it, but we have to be able to sit down and talk and be honest with ourselves so that we can acknowledge what's happening and move forward and actively work not only against it, but work to correct it. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that made sense to what we were talking about, but in my head, that was like where I was being like told to kind of go. There's a lot that we don't talk about in the gay community that are like unspoken axioms mm-hmm. of just like, we just all kind of agree or like there are, there are societal norms that have become so prevalent, but are so accepted, even though they're so problematic because it's all internal work. Like we can't fix it because it's not about the community. It's about the individual. Mm-hmm. So if the individual doesn't want to fix it, then it's not going to get fixed. Being gay is so weird. It's so exhausting <laughs> in so many ways. Like there is not a single facet about being gay that's not exhausting. But it's also a beautiful thing. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. But like, do I really have to say, oh, we love her when I'm walking by a pole? Like, no. <laughs> no, we don't have to do that. But will I? Absolutely. It's exhausting, but it is a gorgeous thing. And I guess my last message would just be like to have the conversation with yourself and be honest with it about everything. Mm-hmm. Like figure out what's giving you that uneasy feeling and address it and then move forward and actively try to correct it. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be freaking hard and it's going to take months, if not years. But I think that like, we have to stop thinking like this radical change is going to happen overnight and all over the community. The change will only come if the individual is also willing to work on themselves as well as working for the community, with the community. So yeah. We started with pegging and here we, we ended. Are. We started with pegging we, and then we moved into topping and bottoming and then we started moving towards racism and sexual preferences. And now we're into head and heart work and shadow work. I love that you said shadow work because that's so real because it it really highlights the fact that the journey's never complete. It's always there because the system has been how it was for so long and it's going to take you pretty much your entire life to deconstruct all that has already been constructed in your lifetime. Absolutely. So. And that's why I'm saying like it's daily diligence. Like no one's perfect. No one is and if you claim to be like girl you ain't, you know, like we have to be willing to do the work in whatever we're doing the work on. And it's going to be shit most days, but it requires our best. So we must do our best daily. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is kind of like, for me in my spiritual awakening journey, like that's the most helpful thing for me because the more that I'm digging deeper, the more I realize that there's a lot to fix and that there's a lot to uncover, unearth, unpack, And it becomes overwhelming and daunting. And at times you feel like, wow, I'm just like this giant piece of shit. I thought I was a good person. And turns out I'm actually not, which no, your bad stuff does not negate your good stuff. However, what does become a problem is when you unearth bad stuff and you just let it sit. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it and you have to work on it and it sucks and it's garbage. But you know what? That's what makes the humanity so freaking beautiful. Like, how great is it that in the span of, what, three or five years, you can be a completely different person? And how beautiful is that growth is free? You know, it's just like bottoming. You got to be patient with yourself. You got to listen to your body and you got to work it out. And if it doesn't work today, try again tomorrow. Sex. 
It's a wonder. There it is. Well, Drill, thank you so much for being here and, and having this sex talk with me. I learned of so much. Of course. I, this is so fun. I, I, it's also cool because, you know, we haven't chatted in a while and it's always nice to catch up with you. I always love talking about these things with you. Especially sex. I do love, uh, we, we do love sex. We absolutely do love that. Oh, man. If you want to find Jarell on the social medias, at Jarell underscore on Instagram or at Jarell from work on Twitter. This will be linked in the show notes below. He also has an excellent TED Talk out on a lot of the stuff we talked about called Being Purple in a World of Red and Blues. That will also be linked in the show notes below. Go watch it. It's fierce. And go have some good sex. Go if you can. Go peg someone today. <laughs> if not, if not, your left hand and your right hand. There it is. Can do well. Or order your first sex toy. You never know. Ooh, Adam and Eve. 50% off. That's it for the show, everyone. Thanks for listening. And see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Queer Queries. This show is produced by yours truly, edited by Addison McKissack, theme song written by Matt Gregory, Colin Egan, and Mike Hubbard, produced by Colin Egan and Mike Hubbard, logo designed by David Pavon. Have an inquiry, topic suggestion, guest idea? Email askqueerqueries at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. Also, follow us on Instagram at, at queer.queries. And remember, hit that subscribe button, leave that written review, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell your enemies, tell the whole world about the Queer Queries podcast. 